Guys, again, I am so thankful for y'all all to be here. I know um, this coming week, we have a lot of people who are already traveling, a lot of people who will be tra- traveling um, um, throughout the week. And I'm thankful that we're here. We got this time to spend together. I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace this morning. I'm going to try not to move around a lot because um, yesterday I did something stupid. I bent over and twisted at the same time and it's been pretty painful ever since. So y'all give me a little bit of grace today uh, because I need it. I ain't made for breakdancing. No, sir. Not at all. So we've been talking about Advent. We've been talking about the fact that we are actually in between two Advents. We know the first Advent because Advent means coming or anticipation of something to come. The first Advent was when Jesus came as a baby to this earth. The second Advent, the one that we're waiting for, the one that we're in the in-between for, is the Advent when Jesus Christ will come back to collect his bride. Now, while we were in the middle of these two advents, we find ourselves on a emotional roller coaster. You ever been on an emotional roller coaster? You ever had those days where everything seems perfect, the sun is shining, the 401ks go up, school's excellent, you even have a good hair day? You ever have one of those days? And then the very next day, uh, the day is dreary, people are at work and kids are being... Kids, even the people at work being kids, the washing machine throws a bearing. You start looking in the sink and you see more hair in the sink than you see on your head. And you're just like, why? Why do I have to go through this? And isn't it funny how one day can make so much difference in our attitude and in our life? You know what gets me more than just the day-to-day roller coaster? is the individuals that we know that no matter what happens, they smile, they chuckle, and they just go along with it. I don't like those people. They break, they, uh, yeah. they break down on the side of the road with a, with a tire. You see them out there changing the tire, smiling. Could have been worse, could have been the fan belt. No. They have, one of those, they have one of those days at work where nobody shows up and they're just happy that they're able to be there. Don't people like that get on your nerves? They go through the line at Walmart and they're so happy. You know, they've been waiting for 500 miles trying to get into the self-checkout because nobody's working. But then they get to the self-checkout and they're just happy, go lucky, ready to go. Don't you just love those people? I don't like them. I'll be honest with you. I don't like them. Which brings a question. Why don't we like those people? Why don't we like those people who seem to think of things as a glass half full opposed to the people who look at the glass half empty? Why do we have a problem with these people? Is it really a problem with their joy that they have? Or is it really the fact that in some way, shape, or form, we're jealous. We're jealous that they can look at life from that standpoint. Or is it because we're bitter? We're bitter because something has taken place in our life and and robbed us of that joy. Or is it just because we've been robbed from joy from people, from circumstances, from situations, from possessions, 
or even from the worry and doubt of this world. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians once. Um, And in that letter, it's only four chapters. This letter is called the love letter or the joy letter. It's a letter of joy to the church to share about all the joy that comes with knowing Christ. And each of the chapter, he gives a specific reason to be joyful through any circumstance or situation. A while back, I was reading a devotional by Warren Wiersbe. Some of y'all know him, uh, know of him, know of his writings. Very, very gifted preacher. But I was reading some of his uh, devotions, and one of the devotions come about on joy robbers. And he used the whole book to describe what these joy robbers were. In chapter one, he talked about how circumstances can rob our joy. In chapter two, he talked about how people can rob our joy. In chapter three, he talked about how possessions can rob our joy. And in chapter four, he talked about how worry can rob our joy. Joy, just like hope and love, are gifts that help us get from the first advent through to the second advent. And today I want us to look, I want us to take some time to look at this gift. I want us to look at who this gift was a first announced to, but I also want us to look at the individuals specifically and why this gift of joy was so precious to them. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Luke. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 2. Most of you know this is the Christmas story. Some of y'all know this is the story that you heard on Charlie Brown. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I got to say this while y'all are looking it up. A couple of weeks ago, I went to the, um, our school, high school did the production of Charlie Brown. Uh, I've seen some of our people in there too. I absolutely loved it. Let me tell you why I loved it. I'm sitting there in the stands watching all that's going on and they get to the part you know, the part where Charlie Brown wants to know what is the whole meaning of Christmas. And then Linus gets up and he tells the whole story. I am so thankful that we live in a county that allowed that to be read in our school system because the gospel of Jesus Christ was read in our school system. And you've got to be excited about that. Well, let's read it this morning as we dig into Luke chapter two, the Christmas story. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And And she gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him in cloths and lied him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Verse 
In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and, <clears throat> and the glory of the Lord shone all around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which is for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign unto you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see these things that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby <clears throat> as he lie in a manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told of them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things pondering them in their heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard, all that they had seen, just as it had been told to them. Pray with me. Father, so many years ago, a message was given. A message of good news and great joy was given to some individuals that really needed it. And at the same time, Lord, this message is still just as needed today as it was back then. We have individuals, Lord, who are broken, undone, completely lost to what this life has for them. We have people who are going through moments of despair because of things, uh, situations that have taken place in their life. We have people that we're going to interact with this week, Lord, who will be struggling with things such as bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. And Father, that tells me that this message of good news and great joy is just as much needed today as it was when it was told to the shepherds. Father, this morning I do. I lift up my other brothers who are standing behind the pulpit this morning getting ready to proclaim your word. Specifically, I pray for Cliff this morning, Lord, as he gets ready to minister to some of the people in Kentucky. And while he's in an area, Lord, that hasn't been hit by this tragedy, the people that will be hearing the message today, Lord, need to hear that message just like the shepherds heard it. Father, this morning, I pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what it is that you have for us this morning. This morning, Lord, we come, we come here joyfully, Lord, 
because you have given us joy. Help us to see the gift that we have, not only in your son, Jesus Christ, not only in the hope that we have in him, not only, Lord, in the love that he's shown us, but in the joy that he has given us to know that he has come and he will return. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The group of people that God chose to share this story with first um, is a group of people that has puzzled many theologians, many pastors, many individuals. I've got to say at the same time, I've often wondered too, why it is that Jesus chose to share this message of great hope and great joy with a bunch of shepherds. Shepherds working in a field, just trying to tend to their sheep. There's a couple of things I want you to know about shepherds before we really dig into the heart of why this message was shared. The work of shepherd was not one that many would pick as a lifelong occupation. It was a job that came with sleepless nights, a demand for attention, and many dangerous circumstances. And it was demanding and very dirty at the same time. Paul understand this wholeheartedly when he was writing to the Philippians. The job that he had been put before him, the job of presenting the gospel, was one that would be just as demanding as, the, as what the shepherds went through. At the same time, the message of presenting the gospel was not something that most people wanted to do because presenting the gospel could cause them isolation. It could cause them fear. Shepherds, just like Paul, were in a circumstance. And in a way, a circumstance that they really couldn't control. And a lot of times we find ourselves in circumstances just like that. Circumstances that we can't really control. And when we focus our attention, when we focus everything on our circumstances and our situations, we are blinded to the joy that God gives us. God was bringing a message of joy to these individuals because these individuals were in bad circumstances. The job of a shepherd, if it wasn't bad enough that you were always in bad situations and bad circumstances, it was also a job that many people didn't admire at all. Even though shepherding was a very necessary job, they were not valued very much as people. When they would go into the towns, when they would go into the cities, often people would part for fear of touching one of these individuals. Shepherds stunk. Shepherds smelled funny. They smelled like sheep. And a lot of people just did not aspire to be anything like them. Paul experienced something like this very similar. He experienced a time in his life where people did not aspire to be like him or even want to be around him. Paul had experienced the situation of being a social outcast and doing it all for the cause of the flock. When our focus is on other people's opinions, 
we will do whatever we need to do to please them. And when we please other people, we rob ourselves of their joy that we have from God at the same time. God was bringing a message of joy to people. <clears throat> to people that got no respect whatsoever. Not only was being a shepherd dangerous circumstances, people, dealing with that all the time, being a shepherd was one where you had a lot, but you also had little at the same time. One thing shepherds had a lot of, they had a lot of sheep. You know what a lot of sheep means? A lot of responsibility. Day in and day out, their job was to take care of these sheep. They had to give of themselves completely to make sure these sheep were healthy. Constantly moving from field to field to field to make sure that their sheep were fed. Possessions can cause us to have a lot of responsibility. But at the same time, these shepherds had little as well. Most likely, the reason behind the shepherds having little was because most shepherds were constantly on the move. Most shepherds were constantly having to go from field to field to make sure that their sheep were tended to. And honestly, guys, being a shepherd was not a lucrative business. Paul was a man who understood this. Paul was a man who had lost a lot. Paul being a Pharisee, being one of the Sanhedrin, at one time, he had money, he had power, he had possessions, he had even had a family. But when Paul chose to be a servant of God, all that switched just like that. In chapter three of Philippians, and I'm gonna challenge you to read all of Philippians this week. But in chapter three of Philippians, we see where Paul is constantly talking about how he knows what it's like to have a lot, but he also knows what it's like to have all of that taken away from him. And he has found himself to a point to where he knows that everything that he lost was for great benefit of Christ. Shepherds had lost a lot. Shepherds had lost a lot of their joy. Shepherds didn't have many possessions. And at the same time, they had responsibilities that weighed heavy on them. Just like I talked with the kids, possessions can make you happy. But worldly happiness always comes with an expiration date. Possessions can make you happy. But a worldly happiness always comes with an expiration date. The car you've got made you happy when you bought it, didn't it? Until it wouldn't crank one day. The house you have, it made you happy, didn't it? Until that leak sprung in the place where you had to rip out the wall just to get to it. Everything that we have has made us happy at some point in time. But at the same time, all the possessions that we have have an expiration date. God was bringing a message of joy to a group of people that had more value than any possession they could ever have.
Not only was being a shepherd, you know, difficult situations, hard people to deal with, and lots of possessions and little possessions, there also come a lot of worry with being a shepherd. Shepherds had a lot of responsibility, and a lot of responsibility brings about one thing, a lot of worry and a lot of stress. I think it's funny in today's time how people are always wanting to climb a corporate ladder. Do you notice that? But you know what happens when you come and climb that corporate ladder? The higher you get to that, up on that corporate ladder, does it get easier? No. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. It gets harder. It gets harder when you have employees who are counting on you to do your job so that they can get a paycheck. It's hard on you when other people who are above you don't even understand the situation that you're in and trying to work not only for the company, but for the people who are under you. This worry, this anxiety brings about a lot of stress. And it's a situation that I've heard many, some in here, some in not, some not, but many who are in right now. Worry's heavy. Worry's heavy. It drags us down. It slows us down. It even holds us down. It keeps us from moving forward because it is constantly moving us back. The shepherds lived in constant fear of their flock. They had real dangers to worry about. They had wolves that would come in. They had bears that would come in. They had many large beasts that would come in and devour their flock. A lot of times, one person had to stay up all night just for worry, just for fear. Uh, something would happen to those sheep. Paul had similar worries. He had similar worries of his own. He was worried about persecution. He was worried about death. But one of the things that really catches my eye, you know what one of Paul's main worries were? What would you do if I told you that one of Paul's main concerns and worries was you? Scotty, he didn't know me. No, he didn't know you. But he constantly prayed and constantly talked about the church that would come. The church that would be brought about because of the witnessing and testimony of the ones that he was talking about. Paul was concerned about the church. And God was bringing a message, not only to Paul, not only to these shepherds, but also to us. A message of joy that could crush any fear. So with all that in perspective, I want to ask you again. Why do you think God chose to deliver this message of good news and great joy to a group of stinky, dirty, overworked, undervalued, constantly in bad situation shepherds? Why do you think he gave them that message? Honestly, I think he delivered it to them because they needed it the most. 
They needed to hear this message more than anyone else on the earth at that time. And you know what's crazy? We still need to hear this message more than anyone else at this time. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost, this is a message that brings about joy in our life when we're dealing with circumstances, when we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with possessions, the lack of or the, uh, the great supply of, and when we're dealing with worry. This is a message that keeps us going from point A to point B. This is a message that gives us hope, that, gives us, that shows us the love that Christ has for us. But there's a couple of things I want to point out to you real quick. A couple of things that I want to point out to you that kind of shocked me about the shepherds. First thing, what did the shepherds do after the angels left? What'd they do? Bueller. Bueller. What did shepherds do after the angels left? You can answer. They went. They went. In leaving, what did they do? They left the flock unattended. Answer me a question. Who in their right mind would leave a flock unattended? Who in their right mind would live their livelihood? Because this is more than just a flock. This is how they made a living. Who in their right mind would have left these poor innocent sheep all alone for something to come and ravish them? Who would do that? The shepherds were willing to do whatever it took to see this great message of joy, even if it meant leaving all of their possessions behind. They went, they left all of it for one thing and one thing alone. They wanted to see Jesus. And I wonder today what it would look like today if all of us were to leave all of our possessions behind so that we could see Jesus. The next thing they did is when they got there, they went with great hope and anticipation of what they were going to see. And when they got there, what did they tell everybody? They told everybody about the message that the angels had given them. Think about this for a minute. When they received that message of joy, they knew that that message of joy was something greater than they could contain themselves. And the first thing that they wanted to do was they wanted to see what was about to happen. And the second thing they wanted to do is they wanted to share that message of joy with others. So they left everything behind to see this joy. They left everything behind to share this joy with others. And then the last thing they did, the last thing they did, is when they left, they praised God for all that they had heard, all that they had seen, and all that they were able to witness. There's value in this. There's value in this, and it can be tied along with what we see in Philippians chapter four as well. 
the shepherds were wanting to see something better than what they had seen. But they were also content with leaving everything behind for something that could have been better. And joy, true joy, is contentment. Regardless of the circumstance, joy is being content with what circumstance you're in. Regardless of the people, joy is being content with the people that God places you around. Regardless of your possessions, lack of or abundance of, joy is being content with what you have or what you don't have. No matter what you're worrying about, whatever it is that is plaguing your mind right now, joy is being content with everything just as it is. And Paul, in chapter four, Philippians chapter four, I'm gonna read this. Don't turn there because I'm gonna challenge you to read this at all. I want you to listen to what Paul says and I want you to realize something. Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. At any minute, they could call him and he could be beheaded. He's in a situation that is beyond anything that we've been around. He's with people who hate him. And when I say hate him, they hate him to the point that they want to kill him. While Paul doesn't have much, he's still grateful for the little that he has. And while I'm sure worry was a constant thing in Paul's life at this point in time, these are the words that he gives the Philippians. But I rejoice, and this is in verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before you lacked an opportunity. Not that I speak from want. Sorry. For I have learned, listen to what he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. And this is where this verse comes in that a lot of people take out of context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want you to know something. When Paul wrote this verse, he wasn't trying out for a football team. When Paul wrote this verse, he wasn't applying to college. When Paul wrote this verse, he wasn't selecting a career. When Paul wrote this verse, he wasn't trying to make a decision about what ministry he would do. When Paul wrote this verse, he was in the most awful situation that anybody could ever be put in. And what did it say he did at the beginning? 
He rejoiced. The secret, the secret to contentment is joy. It's joy. Joy in what you have. Joy in what you don't have. Joy in what you're going through. Joy in the people that you're around, regardless how they may be. That is the secret to true contentment. That is the true secret that leaves us never wanting more. Because guys, let's just be honest. We always want to be in a different circumstance that we're in, don't we? We always want to be around different people. We always want more possessions. We always want less joy. And the secret to all that is we'll never have true joy in any of those things until we're truly content with where we are. The four joy robbers, your circumstance, people, possessions, and worry. Let's be real for a second. Which one are you battling with right now? Which one are you battling with the most? Which one of those four things is taking all the joy from your life and causing you to be angry, causing you to be bitter, causing you to be hateful to your family, to your friends, to your loved ones? Which one of these are you battling with the most that is causing you to be a person that nobody wants to be around? Because that's what happens when we don't have joy. When we don't have joy, nobody wants to be around us. And I know some people say, well, I don't want to be around people who are joyful. It's because you're jealous. It's because you're jealous. Secretly, you want that joy that they have. Secretly, you want to be content in every situation that goes on in your life. You're just too afraid to admit it. This morning, as Tommy and the choir come up, I'm going to give you the invitation. The invitation to find true joy. And I want to do it in three questions. First question, because this question will ultimately reflect on everything else. Are you content with God? Are you content with God? God is the author of your life. He's the creator of your life and he will be there at the finishing of your life. But God is also the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he enough for you? Because unless he's enough for you, then the others won't matter. Because you know what? God can be enough with us, but we can have problems with other things. Are you content with your life? Are you content with your life? If you're not content with God, you can never be content with your life 
But you can be content with life or with God and still have some problems being content in your life. How so? We're always trying to be somewhere else, aren't we? Yeah, we're in a situation right now. We're in a position right now. And we really want to be further than where we are. Maybe there's a situation with your family that you don't want to be in. And you want to be further than you are. Are you content with the life that you've been given? Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, are you content with your life? And if you're not, this brings about my third question. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to keep working forward for something that will never bring you happiness? Or are you just going to fall down and rejoice that regardless of what's going on around you, that God so loved the world that he sent his son, an infant son, to this earth who would grow up and live a sinless life. But at the right time, he would sacrifice his life as an offering for the sins that you had committed. And because of that sin offering that he gave of his life, you can have true forgiveness of your sins. And you can have joy. We always talk about the circumstances we're in. And I want to promise you this. I don't care what circumstance that you're in. If you die without Christ, the circumstance that you're heading to is a lot worse than anything that you can endure on this earth. And no, this isn't a scare tactic. This is just the truth. Joy comes from Christ. Knowing him, loving him, and serving him. The counterfeit is great situations, great circumstances, great people to be around, great jobs, great possessions, and no worry. This morning, which do you choose? Father, this morning I am so thankful for the gift that you have given us in joy. Joy is what gets us, Lord, from day to day. The hope that we have in you, the love that we've experienced brings about a true joy in us that helps us to know that regardless of what we go through on this earth, when we are with you, our joy will fully be complete. And our joy is knowing that you will, Lord, complete the good work that you started in us. So as we go about this week, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find joy. Help us to find that contentment that Paul had himself. Help us to find that ability to leave all this behind just like the shepherds did. To share that great message and to rejoice, Lord, at all that they had seen and heard. Help us, Lord, to understand that the true meaning of this season can't be found under a tree. Can't be found in a big red sack 
can't be found at any store. Can't be found in any gift other than the gift that you have so richly given us. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning as we rise, as they sing, are you content? Do you have joy? Or do you feel like you're living in constant conflict? You deal with God as he deals with you. Tommy.